and having that that point to fix on it's almost like a rope I can pull on literally and figuratively both in my mind and on the wall to bring myself up out of that depression this is the adventure sports podcast brought to you by 180 tack get out there and have some fun Hey everybody, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We got a great episode for you today, but before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you'd like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. It's five bucks a month, it gets you access to a lot of extra content, and uh, just think of it as buying the show a couple coffees every month. A little way to give back. So we'd really appreciate if you took that step. Uh, if you're already a patron, thank you. If you're not, consider it. Thanks. Hi, friends. Kurt here. Thank you so much for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. I have Georgina Jackson on the phone. And Georgina is in Derby, UK. She says north of Birmingham. And today we're going to be talking about how she and her partner, Andy, have used adventure as a way to combat bipolar disorder. And I think it's a beautiful thing when people find a way to use the great outdoors and movement and adventure to make life better, no matter their circumstance. But that's what today's show is going to be about. And Georgina and Andy do a lot of adventure. You can read about it on their blog. It is the number two travelers.com, and that is spelled T R A V L R S. So the number two, T R A V L R S. So if you're not, Driving right now, you can go to that blog, see some pictures, and see what they've been up to while we visit here today. So, Georgina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. So, Georgina, um, I don't know really where to start. Let's just start with where you are. Tell us about Derby. I don't know anything about Derby. I've never been there. So, Derby is quite an old city um, in the Midlands area of the UK, but it's it's brilliant because because it's in the middle of the UK, you can get anywhere um, in very easy time and in a very easy way. Um, so within about three hours, we've got all of the major national parks in the UK, which is just perfect for us to go adventuring in. Um, and we've also built a bouldering wall in our garage. So we don't have to go that far um, if it's raining as well, which is fantastic for us. Oh, that's great. And I see that the two of you are engineers during the week, yes. and then on the weekends is when you do most of your adventures. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we have normal jobs. Um, we work nine to five, Monday to Friday, as engineers. Um, Andy works in the automotive industry, and I work in the aerospace industry. Um, and then we try to make the most of our time outside of our, our normal jobs, outside of our mortgage we've got a cat as well that we have to pay vet bills for um and of course uh, we own a van so we have to run a vehicle so it's that whole whole thing of we're normal people and yet we can still get out and make the most of our time and do all of these amazing things as well very nice so traveling climbing running and cycling are some of the activities but you mentioned that you are kind of the person who likes to try everything adventurous so what other types of things have you done so i think the thing that we're most in love with at the moment is circus skills. (laughs) So we do a lot of what's called acro yoga, um, which is sort of two partner balancing. um, And it it draws from a lot of the, 
I guess, the idea and, and the theories and the culture behind yoga. Um, and it, it puts that all together and mashes it up a bit and uses it with with two people to create these beautiful shapes. And we love sort of trying these new things and having a good laugh and then taking them out into beautiful places and taking these stunning pictures of us balancing with each other. There's a lot of communication in that and a lot of sort of learning how your body works and how your partner works, which is brilliant. Mm. Um, but we also we also love things like slacklining and going further than that, going back to the, the cycling and the running, uh, we do a bit of adventure racing as well um, and things like wild camping and night navigations and swimming and kayaking. We've done a bit of everything, as you said, yeah, and it's just one of those things of why not? You know, you've got to try everything once. Otherwise, how are you going to know what you enjoy? Well, you said why not. I'm going to throw that right back at you. Why? Why do you do this? So in for most people, 2012 was a brilliant year. And for me, it was a year of two halves. It was the year that I first started university, which I guess you guys call varsity. <laughs> um, it was the year that I volunteered at the London 2012 Olympics. But it was also the year that, that my mother died. And things started to sort of go downhill a bit. Um, but I didn't recognize this until one day I sat in front of the doctors and I'm not normally an emotional person but I just completely broke down for no reason at all just started crying in front of this poor doctor and they turned around and they said um I think you might have some mental health problems and that was the point where it sort of all clicked into place and then two years later I got diagnosed as bipolar um, and since then I've been trying to find ways to cope with the mental health issues that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And that can range from anything from not being able to get out of bed in the morning, not being able to have the motivation to shower myself or even to eat or have a drink, to physically being unable to walk because I'm so tired and so drained, um, as well as, of, of, of course, the whole dealing with anxiety um, and depression that comes with bipolar. And the main way that I found really worked for me was getting outside. And there are actually scientific studies that back this up. So there are plenty of scientific studies out there that say that even spending 15 minutes a day outside, you can drastically improve your mental health and well-being. It's this whole thing of seeing the different colors, having that connection with nature, really grounding yourself in all the different textures, the different wildlife that's out there and just the beauty that's around you that the whole idea that the world carries on and that you can too um I find that really really strengthening and really helpful but not only that but of course it keeps me active going outside sort of there's so many opportunities out there and you can do it by yourself you can do it in a group um, you can do it with just women or you can do it with mixed or you can do it with your kids or with your animals there's so many different ways to do it and so many different things to do out there um, that it's sort of difficult not to find a way that it helps you. That's neat. And, you know, before we started, um, you used the word normal. <laughs> and I want to throw this out there just because it's such, there's no such thing as normal, Georgina. You know that, right? Absolutely. That's very true. Um, <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose I was trying to make the point of what is, what is more common 
Yeah, and the reason I bring that up is because you have found that this regimen of of being outdoors is very helpful in dealing with bipolar. But I just wanted everyone to hear, we all have challenges, and some challenges have names, and some challenges don't, right? But they're all just different shades of normal. They really are. But whatever your challenge is, I think that Georgina is on to something. I have found that getting out and being active somehow is just really, really healing. Georgina, can you describe to us um, when you started going outside and using that kind of as a as a therapeutic vehicle, um, how that impacted you? So I think it was it took me a little while to sort of deal with all of the emotions that I was feeling with what happened with my mother to being diagnosed as bipolar um, and everything else that happened in between. It took me a couple of years to actually like sort of stand up for myself and say, you know what? I'm going to own this and I'm going to go and do the things that I want to do. And that's how it all started. So when I was younger, before everything happened, I was very sporty. I used to compete a lot for for my schools and sports across many different sports. Um, And it was always outside. And I remembered feeling just amazing competing and, and participating in all of these different sports. So I thought, you know what, I'll go back to those sports excuse me, to, to those sports and I'll keep like, you know, I'll try and find that feeling again because that feeling is what made me feel happy. That feeling is what what made me want to, you know, get up and go in the morning and it and it's what made me feel better physically as well because, of course, I'm getting all of that exercise and I'm eating better when I'm doing those sports. So the first thing I went back to was climbing, was rock climbing. For me, I think the whole engineering side, it's a mindset, and that comes out for me in climbing. Climbing is is a problem, um, but at the same time, you've got to be so focused that you don't think of anything else. You block out everything around you when you're climbing, or at least I do anyway, and, and we say that's when you're in the flow. And when I'm in that flow, when I'm on the wall, when I'm touching the rock, I just sort of, I don't need to think about anything else. I just get this completely otherworldly experience of being calm, cool, collected, very focused in that moment. And yet at the same time, I'm connected to everything around me. I'm grounded to the rock. I'm feeling every single texture. I'm looking at every single ridge, edge and bump in the rock that's there to try and find my next hold. You know, my body is all connected and felt as one. It moves like a dance. And at the same time, I'm solving that problem of I've got to get to the top of this thing. And I've got to use all my rope skills. I've got to use my knot skills. I've got to use placing gear, all of those sorts of problems as well. So at the same time as working through a rock problem, I almost felt as if I was working through my my own problems, the problems that I imagined in my mind. Um, and I think for me that was very, I don't know, very rewarding, I guess, because suddenly this whole world was opened up to me, this whole community as well, because I think anyone who has found their outdoor community, and that can be anything from running to cycling to climbing to whatever, if you've found that community you'll know exactly what I'm saying when I say that there is there's nothing else like that community um they they're so supportive and so encouraging and it's like a small family um and I think finding all of that at the same time at this stage in my life where I really needed it that was the moment where I was like 
this is this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to do. And just, you know, the sun was shining at that moment. And I was halfway up this multi-pitch climb um, in the middle of a mountain in Snowdonia. And I just sort of had this epiphany. And I was like, this is it. This is how I this is how I cope. This is how I deal with it. Mm. So when you go out and you have a good climb, you've had that time outside, you've had the physical experience and the problem-solving experience and being in the flow and focus and all of that. Um, how does that make you feel better afterwards? How long does it last? How frequently do you feel like you need to return outside just to uh, have that that boost? So it definitely depends on what else is going on in my life at the time. Because bipolar is cyclical, um, it goes up and down. So when I'm up, for example, when I'm in a, in a manic stage, um, I feel as if I don't need to go outside as often as I do when I'm down. And I think that's definitely because when I'm, I'm manic, everything's amazing anyway. Um, I just want to do everything all the time and I just want to speak to loads of people and like ev- everything's fine and I can just just get on with life, no worries. Like I want to finish everything and I just want to, yeah, everything needs to be done there and then. And at that point, I'm almost too busy to want to go outside that much or to need a climb. Um, it's more that it just happens naturally when I'm in that stage because I'm just saying to everyone, do you want to go and do this? Or do you want to go and do that? Or let's go and have an adventure. Whereas when I'm, when I'm down, when I'm in a depressed stage, that's when things get really tough. That's when I really need to work at building myself up again, putting myself into a better place. Um, because that's when I get those days of no motivation to get out of bed. It's an, it, it's a fight just to eat, you know, to fuel myself properly. Whereas if I sort of know that I'm going climbing that day or, or I've got a, a big climb that I've always wanted to do coming up the next week or something, that brings back that motivation because I know that I enjoy climbing because I know that I go through all of those emotions when I'm on the rock and I I really work through things and I know that being outside I'll always feel better as soon as I put on my harness or my rock shoes I'll start feeling better immediately because I'll start connecting with everything that's around me and I think having that to grab onto when I'm da- when I'm down when I'm in those depressed stages is really important um, having that thing that I can focus on um, when my mind is just going in a downward spiral of, of mostly yelling at myself and putting myself down or thinking about that random thing that I did three years ago for no apparent reason that doesn't really matter and everyone's forgotten about, that all goes out the window because, as I said, I've got that focus when I'm on the rock and I've got that that flow and that problem solving and that in that moment, nothing else can matter because I'm in this situation where if I do fall or if something does happen, I need to be on high alert and I need to be prepared to get myself out of it. And I think putting myself in that situation, not only does it help lift my mood because I've forced myself outside because I'm doing something productive, because I'm working through all of those feelings and I'm taking all of that sort of um, that white noise, if you like, out of my mind, but also because I just enjoy it. It's it's a real love and it forces me to speak to people when perhaps I didn't want to. And then actually I think, oh, yeah, you know what? It's not so bad. And it really sorts of sort of starts to bring me out of that hole. And having that that point to fix on, it's almost like a rope I can pull on literally and figuratively, both in my mind and on the wall 
to bring myself up out of that depression. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. So does it uh, shorten the duration of the depressive episodes? I know that the focus while you're on the wall is, is obviously helping a lot. But when you get out and you do these things, does it seem to pull you back out of the trenches more quickly than you would have otherwise? I think I definitely think it does. Yes. Um, I think because all of the biological changes as well that are happening in my body at that point, all of the hormones and the chemicals that are released when I'm doing those things that I'm enjoying outside and, and having um, all of my senses like really having to work because I'm in the outdoors. Um, the change that that has physically definitely does have an effect on how long it lasts because it's all chemical. It's bipolar is a chemical imbalance. So if I'm doing things to to alter that, to change that chemical imbalance and rebalance it, then yeah, it's definitely going to have an effect. But I think not only is there a scientific side for it, that's my engineering side coming out, of course, but I do think there's something more. I think mentally because of course your your own thoughts are your own you can't really control them you can make a conscious effort to change what you're thinking about or to think in a different way but at the end of the day that initial thought you can't control that that's you know that's instinctive and I think for me going out on the rock because it's instinctive for me not to think about anything else when I'm on the rock or to, to think about what's around me and really focus and be at one with my surroundings and my environment and within my body, because that's my instinctive thought when I'm out on the rock. I think that helps as well because that enables me to then let go of everything else that I've sort of made up and all these incredible scenarios that I just dream up when I'm lying in bed and sort of go over a million times and find out the worst ones and what would I do in that situation. I forget about all of that and everything's sort of at peace again because when you're in the outdoors I don't know I don't know if you feel it Curtis but it's it's so peaceful it's just it just is and mother nature sort of has this this way of course and it's all natural and it's just the way that things are meant to be and experiencing that and being outside in that then I think returns my mind to that Mm. I love that and Georgina I I find myself, this is crazy, I love being outdoors and doing adventure sports, but I find myself struggling with the effort that it takes to get out the door sometimes. But once I get out the door, then I do experience the peace you're talking about. And I told one of my sons just last week, we were climbing some 14,000 foot peaks, and, and I said, 
I'm home when I'm here. When I'm in the house, you know, well, we have our family. So in a sense, family is home. But as far as location Mm -hmm. goes, it's when we go to nature, that's when I feel like, oh, I've come back home again. This is where I am myself. This is where I am at peace. And so I totally get that. I totally get that. You know, I also find, while I'm not dealing with bipolar disorder, I, I still find that when I get out and I climb or I mountain bike or, you know, I, I summit a peak or, or go rock climbing like you're talking about, I find that the endorphin rush that always comes from having a, a physically challenging experience in nature, that that endorphin rush that always comes just brings on this amazing feeling of well-being and satisfaction with life. And I would think that that's, that would just have to be helpful no matter what state someone is chemically. You know what I mean? Exactly. I completely agree with you. And that's why for so many people being outside is really important is because that, that happens. Your body craves it, you know. It, it's a drug for your body. That's literally what it is. Um, but for people dealing with chemical imbalances, dealing with mental health issues, I feel like well, personally, that effect is is magnified, you know, it's tenfold because they're dealing with that chemical imbalance. Mm, so healing, so beautiful. You know, I had another thought just this morning. I, I was thinking how when people go and travel, when they go experience new landscapes and new cultures, when they explore, that also feels very natural to me. And I think it must be somehow hardwired inside of us. If you think about it, the human race has always gone. That's where they found more food. That's where they found new lands where they could live and grow and build and and become. And, you know, it's been just, I guess, the history of, of humankind has been all about going and experiencing new things. And I was thinking for people that never do that, they're also missing out on part of what it is to to be human, I think. And so I see here on your website that you and Andy have gone to a lot of places. Travel is a big thing for you. And uh, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, too. I see uh, destinations, Austri- uh, let's see, Austria, Belgium, Croatia, England, France, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Jordan, Norway, Portugal, Slovenia, Spain, Switzerland, Wales, to name a few you guys really get around. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you say that travel is innate. I think, I think as I was, I was saying earlier, it's instinctive. Um, and it's something that we really feel strongly about. Uh, we are strong believers in that you should do things that scare you and that you should try everything at least once. Um, and I think our way of doing that is by, taking our DIY van, uh, so we we bought an old builder's van, stripped the back out and converted it ourselves into a camper van. So we take that and we go wherever we can, whenever we want to. And this can be anything from every weekend in the summer, finding a different place to explore in the UK that we haven't been to before, some small corner somewhere from, you know, a little village to a huge city, um, from the coast to the cliffs and everything in between. Um, but for us, it also means making the most of our, our holiday, our annual leave, which is a big thing in the UK. You have to take it by law. Um, 
we we save it all up and we take it in one big go and we go over into the continent and uh, into the european continent with our van and we challenge ourselves um so the we've done two big van trips our first one was in 2016 and that's where we covered over 6000 miles in about 5 weeks wow um yeah and <laughs> uh, i believe we did 11 countries 11 countries 6000 6, miles 5 weeks um and in that time I th- we only stayed in something like seven campsites the rest of the time we were um what's called stealth camping so we were just sleeping on the side of the road in the van or in a layby or in a car park where they didn't mind us staying overnight things like that and we didn't really have a plan. Um, we just sort of went. So from the UK, we caught the train, the train through the tunnel under the, under the, uh, the English Channel into France. We caught the last day of the Tour de France, uh, where they rode Chantilly to Paris, which was wonderful. Um, and from there, we went to Fontainebleau which is a bouldering mecca for those who climb. Um, and it's really magical. And we spent a, f- a good few days climbing there before we headed over to Chamonix again, which is a climbing mecca because, of course, there's Mont Blanc right there. Um, so we spent a few days there as well, getting all the climbing out of us so that we could really settle in into the holiday and make the most of it and go and see some, you know, some extraordinary places. So from Chamonix, we crossed over into Switzerland um, again, the climbing is a theme on our trip, so more climbing there, but also different disciplines of climbing. So we did some via ferrata as well as bouldering, and we did some sport and some track climbing as well, which, which as I said, are the different sorts of di- disciplines for climbing. Dropped down into Italy and did uh, pretty much the whole of the west coast of Italy we drove, down to where sort of the heel of the boot is on Italy, where there's an area called Bari on the east coast. So we jumped across them from the west coast to the east coast, where you can catch a ferry, um, an eight-hour overnight ferry uh, to Dubrovnik in Croatia. Mm. So that's what we did. Um, we slept on the ferry, and when we arrived in Dubrovnik, um, we explored the city, and it's a beautiful area. Uh, but from we're, we're not really city people, so as much as we appreciate the culture and the architecture and the history, um, which for me is a big thing, I absolutely love that sort of stuff, we didn't really want to stay long because you know, not a big fan of too many crowds and not as much to do in cities we find personally as there is in the great outdoors. It doesn't sort of sit as, as well with us as it does being um, in open spaces and with all the green fields around you and by the mountains. So we decided to move on and we moved up towards Split and then carried on into Slovenia. I think Slovenia has got to be our favourite country from that trip. Not very well known as a as a destination to go, but actually it's stunning. Um, and there's loads to do there if you're into the outdoors. The, there's the more famous side of Lake Bled, but about half an hour down the road from that is called Lake Bohinge. And Bohinge is actually bigger than Bled, um, quieter, cheaper, and personally, we think it's more beautiful as well. And behind that then, are the Julian Alps so there's Triglav as well which is the biggest mountain in Slovenia um, which is a really incredible climb so we spent some time in Slovenia and then we moved on up to Hungary Um, but at this stage it was nearing the end sort of of the time that we had saved up so we knew we started we had to start heading back at this point but we decided that we weren't just going to head straight back we were going to sort of you know 
see the rest of the countries along the way. So we hopped over into Austria, um, did some more beautiful Via Ferratas there. There's a Via Ferrata called the Mittenwald Via Ferrata there, um, which takes you along a ridgeline of about 13 different summits. And this ridgeline is my absolute favourite place in Austria, mm. and it is beautiful. The Via Ferrata took us about eight hours in total, so it's a good day's, you know, good day's climbing. Um, but you're on this ridgeline almost the entire time and you can see for miles. And because it's right on the Austria and Germany border, it's just absolutely stunning. And you get all of these cultures from you can see all down the valleys, etc. That was amazing. Um, so from there, Germany was an obvious place to go. So we went into Germany and followed the Rhine almost all the way up into Belgium. Um, there's some quite nice climbing in Belgium, actually. So we spent a lot of time there before we headed back um, to the UK. So it was, yeah, it was all about sort of challenging ourselves, pushing ourselves, seeing how far we could go in the time that we had. And of course, dealing with spending six weeks or five weeks together in a small confined space and not really having the opportunity to get away from each other. Um, So for us, that was the first big moment in our relationship where we really sort of started to work together I guess to to work out how each other worked how we dealt with our own things um because anyone who's traveled long term with a partner will know that it's not always easy for us particularly if we get hungry or tired that's when we start arguing a bit um which which I think is quite standard to be honest most people if they get hungry or tired they get a bit grumpy but when there's two of you and you're both hungry and tired that kind of doesn't really work And likewise, if people are driving and you've got, I don't know, no real idea of where you're going and suddenly you've got an outage on your GPS um, and the paper map is right at the back of the van so you you can't really just grab it, it can get quite stressful if you're driving in another country and you've got no idea where you are or where you're going. Um, So there were a couple of moments where we had to sort of take a step back, just remind ourselves of what we were doing and why we were doing it. And just breathe, really, and just just look at the beautiful surroundings around us and just sort of put it all into perspective that actually, you know, it's okay when things go wrong. Like, that's all part of it. And that's sort of been a theme throughout our lives and throughout our outdoor experiences as well, you know. If everything went to plan, it would be boring. You wouldn't have a story to tell, you know. It would all just be a bit, oh, how was it? Yeah, nothing really happened. It was all just sort of okay. Whereas if something goes wrong, or at least you have that experience, you've got a story to tell, then it makes it interesting. And you look back on it years in the future and you laugh at those things. You know, it's a memory and it's a bonding experience. And of course, it's an experience that sort of prepares you for the future. You know, it's that whole thing of, of look at what I dealt with, look at what I've been, I've been through, you know. If I can do that, then I can do this thing and I can do that thing and we can do it again. And I think that's a really important thing to take away from when you're adventuring. I agree. Georgina, you mentioned that you converted your van into a camper and there are a lot of people that are trying to do that. It can be quite expensive and daunting. How did you find your conversion, first of all? And is that something that that you're looking into doing more of? Uh, Absolutely. So we're actually on our second van conversion at the moment. Um, The reason Andy's not with me is because he's actually working on it now so that we can go away on a trip tomorrow. 
I think for us, it's the whole thing of freedom is the the one reason why we wanted to buy a van in the first place. And that's probably for most people in general. But already converted vans can often be really expensive. Um, so what we did was we bought an old builder's van, um, stripped the back out. And then, as I said earlier, uh, we converted it into a camper van. So do you ever help other people with their van conversions? I know that once you've done one, everybody knocks on your door and says, how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah, so the first one, we knew we wanted to document it because of that reason. Um, But we only really took pictures. We didn't film it or anything. It was just sort of, this is, you know, this is what it looked like after we'd done it. And because so many people asked us, oh, how have you done your van? And they wanted to really chat about it and have a look and have a nosy around what we'd done. And we decided that the second one, we were going to work really hard and we were going to film how we were going to do it. But on top of that, we also had people come to us and say, we love the idea of a van, but we don't want to have two vehicles or we don't want to have to drive a van because they were scared about driving a big vehicle or something like that. And so we've actually done work where we've converted a Ford, Ford Fiesta, I believe, into a camper car. Um, and that was just by using sort of plywood as a as a fold-out bed. The dream would be to carry on with doing van conversions. It's something that we both love. It sort of mixes our worlds then as well of engineering and adventure sports, which is amazing. And it would also mean that it, there was more flexibility there to go away and adventure more often than we already do. If you're interested in getting a van, I would say just go for it. There's so much information out there. Um, we've got some stuff on our blog that we're trying to write up based on both the first conversion and the second conversion that we're doing. Um, but also YouTube is a wonder, you know, there are so many informational videos out there and how to's that it's kind of hard actually not to find the thing that you're looking for. Um, and it really has changed our lives. I never thought that I would be the sort of person to own a van and now I can't imagine my life without one. Well, very cool. If people wanted to contact you and say, hey, could you help me with some ideas for my van conversion, would would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. Andy, it, these projects are more his baby. Um, he really loves them. So if you contact us via Facebook or via Instagram, either of us, but probably Andy more than me, will be more than happy to get in touch with you and give you a, like probably a really detailed response. Okay. How can people find you on Facebook then? Facebook, we're also the number two and then Travelers. So Facebook is the same as our website. Um, But Instagram is the word two and then an underscore and then Travelers. So that's T-W-O underscore T-R-A-V-L-R-S. So take the E out of Travelers and you got it. Absolutely. Georgina, I'd like to circle back around a little bit and talk about the impact that this trip had on you. I think it's so cool to be able to uh, have it life experiences that become, well, tools in your toolbox for the future, empowerment for the future. Uh, it's the whole can-do attitude, knowing I've been through this, I can get through you know, this other thing as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But now let's contrast this a little bit. What if, instead of having gone on this trip, you just stayed home? How do you think your life would be different today? If I'm if I'm totally honest with you, I think um, I I would have gone genuinely mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I would be coping anywhere near as well as I do. Um, so 
from the outset of my diagnosis, I've been very firm in that I didn't want to take medication. Um, so at the time, I was going through final exams, um, all this sort of stuff, trying to get a job, and I couldn't really afford to put my life on hold while I was trialing out different sorts of drugs and different levels of drugs that would sort of try to make me a different person. Um, so I, I flat out refused and I decided that I was going to use my own coping mechanisms. I was going to find my own methods, um, of how I was going to deal with this problem that I was, uh, that I'm faced with. And that's, as I said, where the whole climbing thing came in and that I realized that if I can focus my mind and, and spend time outside doing the things that I enjoy, that actually I don't need to work too much on everything else because that for me, puts everything into perspective. And the next day after I've done that and I've gone outside and I've really tired myself out because I've climbed really hard or, you know, I've run really far. The next day I'm a new person. I'm totally different. Wow. So and it I just think, presses the reset button for you. Absolutely. It does. Um, and I think if I didn't go on those trips and I didn't have these adventures especially with my partner because he's a lifesaver sometimes he can pick up on things before I do and that means that I've almost got like an early warning system of when when I need to sort of reset myself um because I'm lucky enough to have those things and to be able to go outside and do these adventures and have these experiences that means that I sort of don't need to concentrate too much I'm trying to keep myself in a place where I can function because it does it all for me. So, yeah, if I if I didn't go on any of those trips or have those experiences, I, I genuinely think I'd be stuck in bed um, and I would be not able to get out for, for weeks. If you want to get into backpacking but you're not sure where to start, go check out campcrate.net. Camp Crate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Camp Crate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Camp Crate. Rent. Explore. Return. Well, it's it's really neat that you found a way to manage the challenge of of bipolar disorder, and uh, I've, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say I decided to do it without medication, because there are people that can't manage it without medication. You know, I, I've heard those reports. Do you advise people to try that, or do people advise you to take the medication? I mean, how has that decision played out for you? So, uh, to begin with, again, because. Because I'm an engineer and it's a, I, I strongly believe that it's a mindset, um, that suddenly came out in me when I was diagnosed and I went straight to the library and researched pretty much everything there was to know about the disorder and the surrounding effects that it can have on different people's um, you know, lives because of it and how they reacted and what had happened to them. And a lot of it sort of said that you really need to be careful on the sort of medication that gets given to you or that you take when you're diagnosed with bipolar. Because for some people, medication that works for others can have drastically the opposite effect on them. And you really don't know which way it's going to go until you try it. 
And I think, as I said, because at that point in my life, I didn't feel as if I could afford to do that. I made the decision then and there that I, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't have, I couldn't deal, I guess, with the possibility that it was going to make me worse before it was going to make me better, especially knowing that there was, there was no way of knowing how long it would take before I found something that did make me better. But not only that, a lot of people say that their friends and family report that it changes who they are as a person. It changes their reactions. It changes their behaviors. Um, and that was something that I didn't want to do. It was something that I saw had happened in my mother because it, a lot of mental health is hereditary. And this had been, well, I'm assuming it's been passed down through my mother's side because my mother struggled a lot as well before she passed away. And having seen what she struggled through and how she dealt with antidepressants, it was it was another sort of notch in the bow of not taking medication. And I totally agree with you. Some people genuinely can't function without it. And don't get me wrong, um, I'm all for that. You know, if medication works for you, you like, please take it. You need to take it. But there's that whole other side of it that if it doesn't, maybe there is something else out there that you can try. And for me, that was going outside and doing adventure sports. Um, for other people, it could be knitting or it could be painting or something like that. But I genuinely believe that there are other ways to cope. There are other ways to deal either as well as or instead of medication. Mm. Well, here's a question for you, if you don't mind. Um, you mentioned earlier that when you're kind of on the downside of the cycle, then it's easy to know, well, I probably should go outside and, and be mm -hmm. active and see if I can beat this funk. But then when you're on the, the manic side, that the energetic, happy, elated side of the cycle, do you yeah. also recognize then that, well, this probably is not healthy either because I'm burning through my body's reserves right now. I, I need to find that midpoint again. Absolutely. Um, and what you've said there is is very true. There's been a lot of times where I've found that when I've been on on the manic side, I really have burnt through all of those reserves to the point where I physically can't can't walk. I don't have the energy to walk. I don't have the energy to get out of bed, let alone the motivation. And that is a real problem. And it's something that I am still struggling with. But without really realizing it, I found the whole idea of mindfulness. So without ha having a label to it, um, I started realizing that actually, if I just try to stay, take a step back and listen to my body, which is a lot harder than it sounds when you're in that moment. But if I listen to my body, if I listen to other people around me saying, oh gosh, I'm really tired, we've had a long day. If I try and take all of that on board and if I try and especially eat well during those periods and make sure that I sleep well as well, those things are really important. Although sometimes it's extremely difficult to do that. But if I try and manage that by making lists, for example, um, I'm very good at using my calendar. Everything goes on my calendar. Um, and I use a fitness tracker as well to track my sleep because my sleep can be a bit varied, um, especially in those times. Because I've got that sort of physical data there, I guess, again, the engineer coming out in me, it allows me to sort of put it all into perspective and be like, you know, hang on a minute, maybe we are doing a bit too much um, and we need to slow down. The other thing that I really notice is that I tend to spend a bit more money um, when I'm manic. 
And that's not to say that I get into debt or anything with it, although some people do and it is a real issue. Um, but for me, it's more like when I'm manic, I'll sort of almost panic by, I'll think, oh, I'm running out of this when actually I've got like three weeks left of that product. <laughs> right. Um, so I'll buy more of that, even though I've still got like, you know, a month's worth left of it before it runs out. But then when I'm depressed, it sort of balances out because I don't really spend anything when I'm in those down moments. And I'm, I'm just not thinking about that then and there. So that means that I've actually got that stock car from when I was manic to use when I was depressed. So I think I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite lucky in that sense that, um, that, that's kind of a happy convenience. It sort of actually worked out without really meaning to. But because I'm aware that that's a thing that happens, it means that when I see it happening, I can sort of consciously try to slow myself down and be like, oh, wait, you're doing this thing again. You know what that means. Let's just, you know, take a bit of a breather and double think everything, you know, check twice before you actually make that purchase or before you actually ask that person whether or not they want to do this thing. Well, it's all very fascinating. And I think it's wonderful the way that you have used adventure as a part of the equation, right, that allows you to self-monitor and cope and correct and live a really rich and fulfilling life. This is the thing that I want to just make so clear to everyone. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we all have challenges. You know, some have names, some don't. But it's by going out and sorting out right steps to take that we can still have rich and fulfilling lives. It doesn't matter what the challenge is. And I just applaud you. Because you're doing that. You're doing it in spades. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to witness. Thank you. And I think that's one of the things that my partner Andy has really brought home to me. Um, because he doesn't, he's not diagnosed with a mental health issue. Um, but at the same time, he has to deal with everything that I'm going through as well as me dealing with it. Um, which I can only imagine to be really difficult because from a distance, he can see all of this stuff going on, but he can't do anything about it. And yet he's still got to spend all of this. Well, he's still got to. It's his own choice, bless him. But he still spends all of this time with me and he still goes out and does all, all of these things with me. And he still really cares for me. And I think he's just got this whole mindset of, you know what, if you if you don't go out and do all this stuff, if you don't make the most of it, then what have you done? You know, like there, what is the other point to life if you're not making the most of your life? You know, you've really got to stretch your time out while you've got it because it, it is too short, you know. I mean, there's this whole balance of there's plenty of time to do all the things that you want. So don't feel as if you have to do it all right now because, like, you know, you can afford to, to do some of it in the future. That's okay. And you've got to take rest days, of course. I, I possibly know that better than most people do. But at the same time, don't throw it all away. You've still got to make the most of that time. You've still got to make the most of those rest days by properly enjoying them as rest days, you know, properly appreciating that you've got this beautiful world around you and that you can afford to just sort of sit there and enjoy it and listen to the sounds and just feel the grass beneath your feet or the wind in your hair. Even though you're on that rest day, there's that whole appreciation side to it that I think if you don't if you don't try at least to do that, then I think that it is a bit of a waste. You know, I, I think that it, it's not it's not human. You know, you mentioned earlier um, the idea of mindfulness 
And mm-hmm. I think that kind of goes with the rest of the idea in a way. Uh, and you mentioned being in the flow. And some people say that being in the flow when you're doing an adventure sport, and, and rock climbing is one of the best ways to get there, I think, um, that that's very akin to mindfulness. Have you, have you been able to take that, that focus and that it's somewhat of an, an intensity about being in the flow from rock climbing and then use that to, uh, to increase your abilities to use that mindfulness to uh, be healthy and, and satisfied? So as I mentioned earlier, it sort of came, the, the technique sort of naturally arrived to me. I just sort of found myself doing them automatically. And I think that's where the whole point of mindfulness has come from. It's that whole thing of if you actually just stop and think about everything and you just, you know, what's actually going on around you, then it all sort of comes together and for me, that definitely started through rock climbing. I think the reasons I found mindfulness through a natural means was because I was rock climbing and I was doing these adventure sports. And I realized that because when I was in that moment, I was totally focused on how the rock felt on where it where it was lying, you know, where the edges were, where I had to go to next, the next, the single next move along and not five moves along. Because I was in that moment, I realized that, yeah, I can apply this to other areas of life. I can apply this to my rest days, you know, because I can say, oh, what's my breathing doing right now? Or how is that particular part of my body feeling right now? And all of that comes through that experience of being in the flow and having that focus on the rock. You're definitely right there. But I think the other thing that I found were techniques like progressive muscle relaxation So that's where personally I lie on the floor on my back and I start with my toes and I really just think about how they're feeling and I I consciously try to relax them. Um, And then I slowly move up my body, um, going to the knees, to the hips, etc., through the arms and and finishing with the top of my head and just really trying to sense what they're feeling and recognize what they're feeling and relaxing it if it's tense I think that really helps me because when I'm stressed I do get a lot of tense muscles um, especially in my shoulders and my neck Um, and then that affects the rest of the alignment of my body Um, so it really puts me off just by being tense in one place that I don't always realize that I'm tense there so when I do this technique which is all linked to mindfulness it means that I've got that that trigger of oh yeah I am tense there I need to make a conscious effort to relax it but then I also need to go and find what's stressing me out so that I can sort that thing out so that then it would make me relax even more so it's this big circle of sort of listening to your body listening you know focusing in and sort of getting that flow with life in general and then working on the areas that it's highlighted to you that say oh actually this thing you know, isn't really affecting you that well, maybe you should do something about it. So for you, mindfulness sounds like it's a part of being aware of your surroundings, aware of your body and being in the moment. Um, do you feel like it's it's really a form of meditation for you? Or is it something that you can do um, during your everyday activities? I do think it's a form of meditation, but at the same time, I think it can be both. Um, so for me, personally and I think a lot of people who meditate can probably say this as well but once you do it for 
a while, once you've practiced doing it for, for quite some time, you can get to the point where you can do it when there's a lot going on around you or when you're in quite a stressful situation um, because it becomes one of those coping techniques, because it becomes quite natural to you and you know how it should feel. You can get there in during an everyday activity. So for me, it's predominantly my mindfulness technique is, is to do with grounding, is to do with touch and to do with senses. So this particularly relates to when I'm outside. I often go bare feet and I'm a big advocate for people to go barefoot. Um, not only because, again, the science side coming out, there are just as many sort of sense receptors in your feet as there are in your hands. Yet we cover our feet every single day. We don't put gloves on our hands every single day. Why would we do the same with our feet? In it can going barefoot can actually produce more neural networks in your brain because of those feeling because of those senses in your feet. You can actually, you know, make different paths in your brain to do with the senses that come from your feet. Um, but not only that, but modern day shoes have a huge effect on the way that we walk. Um, and it's a very unnatural way they make us walk. Our toes are meant to be splayed. Um, more often than not, people's feet, because they've been stuck in, in, I call them tiny prisons, because they've been stuck in shoes for so long, they're actually about one and a half sizes smaller than they should be and definitely narrower than they should be as well because they've been forced into these shapes of the modern world as created. So that drastically affects the alignment of your body. So a lot of the time when people say that they've got weak ankles or they've got a, a, a dodgy knee or something, that's because they're wearing shoes. If they just stopped wearing shoes for a few weeks, um, I'm almost certain that a lot of people will find that those problems will at least start easing, if not going away entirely, because the alignment in your body will come back, your ankles will strengthen more, the skin on your feet will harden more, um, and of course all those senses will be working in your brain, so all those neural networks will be will be creating. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, and for me... Being able to feel things, particularly through my feet, um, for example, the sound on the beach or the grass are the main two. But likewise, feeling things with my hands, but not just not just feeling it as in like you would normally touch things on an everyday basis, but actually thinking about what it feels like and being in that moment and really connecting with what you're feeling and how you're feeling it. For me, that is something that you can do every day, the type of meditation because I'm connecting with that thing and really thinking about how my body is reacting with that, it's calming my mind, it's focusing my mind, it's clearing all of those sort of unwanted messy thoughts out of the way. And in that moment, I'm just touching this thing and that's all that I'm doing. Um, and that can be really powerful actually sometimes, uh, especially when you get a connection on the top of a mountain or in front of the coast. You just sort of have this moment of like, it just the feeling just sort of washes away when you're, you're focused because you do, you connect again with Mother Nature. And it does, as you said earlier, it feels like you're home. It feels natural. Well, I tell you, I love the way, Georgina, how you have, I guess, just focused on managing your health and finding ways to use nature and natural experiences to really maximize your living. And I think that we could all take lessons from that. And I also think that it's very encouraging for people out there who who don't have an answer yet to know that maybe there is an answer for whatever their challenges are if they can spend more time 
connecting with nature and focusing their mind and and being physically active and breathing fresh air and having some sunshine in their lives. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's really what I'm getting from your discussion here. I mean, I love the idea that you've traveled so much, that you go and you do, you rock climb, you bike, you run. But more than that, it's that you found a way to use all of these things to really maximize your life experience. So, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. I find it uh, really informative. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed sharing it with you. Oh, you bet. This time, I think we need to realize how meaningful it is, how purposeful it can be, how beneficial it can be to get out there somehow and have some fun. Definitely. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.